This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. According to my clock, it's 3:08, and that's plenty of time to start a three o'clock meeting. Yes. All right. This one, if I'm not mistaken, is the one with the color chart on the front of it. Okay. This is Soul Winning DNA Part 2. That's Session 4 in our Training Center Church uh, curriculum here. I'm I'm sorry, these shorter time blocks are really throwing me off a little bit. So I I just get going, and the time was up five minutes ago, and I just want to hit myself with a hammer. So let's not make that happen. But we're just going to get started, and we're going to try to take all these principles and put them, all right, what would the cycle of evangelism look like in the local church? How would that operate? And how was your church supposed to operate? Are we talking about some rebellious, newfangled, uh, crazy, off-the-wall thing? Or is this legitimate stuff we're talking about? Uh, That's going to be the burden of our message today at this time. But before we get started, let's have a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you so much for the privilege of coming together and working for you. Teach us how to do it well and help our local churches to be centers of evangelism across this world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we see the Great Commission there. Uh, What's the whole purpose of the church is a pretty big loaded question, but the purpose of the church is to win souls. Okay? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Acts of the Apostles, page 9. The church, by the way, these are the opening words of the book, Acts of the Apostles. I'm hopefully familiar with that. The church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It was organized for service, and its mission is to carry the gospel of the world. The members of the church, those whom he has called out of darkness into his marvelous light, are to show forth his glory. So now we have the Bible with its mission statement for the church, is to go and make disciples. We have the Spirit of prophecy, saying this is the purpose of the church. It's the members would go and make disciples. And then let's go to the official Seventh-day Adventist Church mission statement. The mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church is to do what? Make disciples. Well, where'd they come up with that? From the Great Commission. That's all it is. It's a retooling of the Great Commission in the context, of course, of the three angels' messages. To make disciples of all people, communicating the everlasting gospel in the context of the three angels' messages of Revelation 14, 6-12, leading them to accept Jesus as personal Savior and unite with his remnant church, discipling them to serve him as Lord and preparing them for his soon return. Discipling them. I'm not going to get on my soapbox right now, but that's not an actual word. Discipling. Put it into any word processor and click define. It'll be like no entries found. (laughs) It's a word we've made up, but we'll talk about that in another seminar. But what would this look like in the local church? Well, what I want to go through is basically help you understand the local church structure. We're going to be reading from the church manual and other sub things, but I want you to see what a local church, by our own admission, by our own documentation, is designed to be like. Okay? Now, what this chart is, let me explain what you're looking at. This is simply a picture, a JPEG that's stuck in there, of a document that I made Two years ago, in fact, you can see in the very bottom corner there, it was updated in 3.14.13, okay, 2013, so almost two years ago. We're coming up on our uh, 
nominating time again, at the beginning of this next year. So keep us in prayer. <laughs> but what you can see here is that the I was very frustrated at, I was at a larger church before this one, and the, the nominating committee report was several pages long, and it was, it was all black and white, and it was just all these names and offices and stuff, and you'd have to, like, on page three, here's one of my positions, on page four, here's the other one, I don't know what, in between, and you don't really know, it's basically just a list of names with jobs, names with jobs, names with jobs, names with jobs. It's not particularly organized that well at least in the church where I had come from. And, and I said, well, here I am, the senior pastor of this thing. I want a thing that I can understand and organize for myself. So I said, what if there's a way that we could take the entire nominating committee report? Now, this is for a church, by the way, of 200 membership. And on Sabbath, we have about 100 to 120 in the sanctuary. Okay? So just to give you an idea, this is a good cross-section of Adventism. There's a good number of churches smaller than that, a good number above it, but that's about the average church size. Okay? Now, the church, the highest authority in the local church is what or whom? It is the church body, right? That meets together in a thing called a church business session. The board is not the highest authority in the church. The board works for the business session. Okay? The pastor is not the highest authority in the local church. He's a conference employee assigned to an area that has your church in it. The highest authority, governing-wise, of course, aside from Jesus Christ and the Word of God, you understand what I'm saying, but earthly-wise, ecclesiologically, is the church in business session. But every time you have to spend some money or organize a thing, you don't call a church business meeting. That would be impractical. So you have a thing called the church board that is a representative body working on behalf of the church and business session. Okay? So think about it this way. It helps to put everything in terms of money for some reason, but if you wanted to spend, uh, let's say, $50, and you're on the personal ministries team, and your personal ministries leader, and you want to spend $50, do you have to call a church business meeting to get the authority to do that? I hope not. That's just, it's endless. That's ridiculous. Do you even have to go to a church board meeting to spend $50 out of your own department? I hope not. Right. Now, what if you wanted to spend $5,000? Okay, okay, you know. But does that even need to go to the church in business session? Well, it, that kind of depends on how big your whole church budget is. For the most part, maybe not. But they definitely go to the church board. But let's say you want to spend $50,000. You call a business session, you advertise, you let people know, this is gonna, we've got to talk about it. There's certain things that are good for the whole church to look at, and other things like, man, we trust you, take care of it. Just go do your thing. Okay? This is how the church is organized. The church and business session, the highest authority. Next comes the church board working on their behalf. Now, who's on the church board? The church board is constituted of the, de the department leaders. Basically, it's the pastor and elders and all the department leaders. Okay? For instance, in this one, and this is, like I said, this is not just made up names. This isn't Joe Smith and John Sally, whatever. This is real people. I didn't put their phone numbers and addresses on there, so don't harass them, but they really exist. Uh, I'm actually the pastor of this church. Uh, there are seven elders you can see there, and all of the elders are on the board. Then there's the head deacon, head deaconess, Sabbath school chair, 
children's ministry, and on and around, you can see how everything works. Communication director, personal ministry director, yada, yada, yada. And these people in the blue are the ones on the board. But why are they on the board? Did you know, by the way, that uh, being on the board is not a job in and of itself. It just comes with a job that you're doing. That's an important distinction. Can't we put them on the board? No, you don't just put people on the board. They have to be there because they're leading a thing. They have to be a part of a department, right? So, for instance, the head deacon is on there because there is a board of deacons that he goes and answers to, and they have their own meetings. And he just comes to the board to represent them. The same thing with the deaconess, the same thing with the Sabbath school chair, and all of the different things. So, inside, everybody that's on the board should be leading out in a a department of the church, one facet of the church work. And uh, you can see how that breaks down. The reason I like this picture version is, A, because... You know, where, you know things are a board position because they're on the board level. You know things are an uh, a ministry level, which is great, but most of the people in the church are not on the church board. If you have a church board that has 50 people in it and your church is 70 people, something's off. Right? That's not how it's supposed to work. But they should be involved in the ministries of the church that the board governs. Okay? So, well, let's just keep going. Excerpts from the SDA Church Manual. What is the purpose of the church board? What, if you could summarize it, what is the main work? Oh, you're going to look ahead and cheat. I shouldn't have told you about it. I wanted you to guess. <laughs> what is the primary purpose of the church board? Evangelism in all of its phases, says the pastor. Well done. Thank you. That's true. It is not finances. It's not That's in there, but it's way down the line. And everything I'm going to show you is literally taken from the church manual. I would implore you, beseech you, beg of you. Take out your church manual. Everything we're going to show you today is from documentation, the stuff that the church expects us to do, we're just not doing. It's right there. We don't have to invent the wheel. Just drive the car we've already been given. Here it is. The gospel commission of Jesus makes evangelism, proclaiming the good news of the gospel, the primary function of the church. It is therefore also the primary function of the board, which serves as the chief committee of the church. When the board devotes its first interests and highest energies to every member evangelism, what kind of evangelism? Every member. So not just evangelism in general, but specifically getting every member involved in the evangelism process. When the board devotes its first interests and highest energies to every member evangelism, most problems are alleviated or prevented, and a strong positive influence is felt in the spiritual life and growth of members. Have you ever noticed that your church gets along better in the middle of a big evangelism push? And as soon as it's done, idle hands at the devil's workshop, and all of a sudden you don't like the carpet color again. What happened? Well, you stopped looking up and have this objective that you're all working on, and you lose your focus, and all of a sudden the little thing starts seeming big again. Okay? Number one, again, this is cut and paste church manual. The most important item on the agenda should be planning the evangelization of the outreach or mission territory of the church. In addition, once each quarter, now there's four quarters in a year out of 12 months, so that means every third meeting, every third board meeting should have one item on the agenda. In addition, once each quarter, an entire meeting should be devoted to plans for evangelism. Now, that's a pretty radical concept, but it's right there in the manual. You just don't do it. The board will study conference recommendations for evangelistic programs and methods and how they can be implemented locally. 
The pastor and the board will initiate and develop plans for public evangelistic campaigns. That's the first item on the agenda. In fact, one out of every three meetings should be sent just to that alone. Number two, coordinating outreach programs of departments. Two things I want to highlight from that sentence. Number one, they're not to be leading out on them and doing them. They're just coordinating the ones that the other people are doing. That make sense? And also implies that all the departments are doing what? Outreach. That you're actually doing something. Go and evaluate. Why do some of the departments and some of the programs of the church exist? I don't know. They just always do. So we've got to put me. I don't know. You have to be doing the thing. In addition, no, I'm sorry, the church board is responsible for coordinating the work of all church departments. Each department develops its plans for outreach within its own sphere to avoid conflict in timing and competition in securing volunteers and to achieve maximum beneficial results. Submit uh, uh, coordination is essential. And that makes sense. If everybody's like, say, oh, this is a great day that we're going to come up with, and all of a sudden four ministries take the same day and try to pull from this, it's going to be a mess. That's what the board is there, is to coordinate their work. Not to do the work, but to coordinate it. Make sure it doesn't turn out a mess. Now listen to this. Before completing and announcing plans for any program, each department should submit its plans to the board for approval. The departments also report to the board on the progress and results of their outreach programs. So before the health ministries does a thing, they should actually sit down and plan, what is our objective for this thing? How much money will it cost? How much time will be involved? How many people do we need? And make up a plan. Submit it to the church board, and they say, oh, that's great. Did you know we also have this thing? Maybe you should shift it over here. And they coordinate it, and then they implement it, and then come back to the board, and we say, hey, how'd it go? And be honest. It's like, well, actually, we spent twice as much money and only had half as many people. Well, don't do it the same way next time. Do something different. But you just keep working around. But a lot of times, there's very little accountability. Well, we're going to do this, this thing, Okay, six months goes by. Whatever happened with that thing? I don't know. It just gets lost. The purpose of the board is to make sure that doesn't happen. Okay. Um, continuing on here. The board may suggest how departmental programs can contribute to the preparation, conduct, and follow-up of a public evangelistic campaign. They're like, well, that's great that your health ministries. Now, how is that going to put into the cycle so that we can get to the harvest? They should, the board should operate with a harvest in view and make sure that all the work leading up to it is coordinated well. Number three is an itemized list. And the numbers are still, they're not my suggestion. This is from the church manual itself, in the order, literally copied and pasted it here. Encouraging the personal ministries department to enlist all members and children in some form of personal outreach missionary service. Training classes should be conducted in various lines of outreach ministry. Notice we haven't talked about money yet. Not once have finances come up, and apparently one out of every three meetings is all about evangelism, coordinating the outreach program, and then once we coordinated those, now let's go to not just the church as a whole and not just the departments, but the individual members. What are they doing? Down to the little children. What are the children doing to win souls for Christ? I don't know when that question has last been asked, even at my own board. This is a rebuke to me. Training classes should be conducted in various lines of outreach ministry. Apparently, the board needs to make sure that the training that we've been talking about is actually occurring. Number four, encouraging the interest coordinator. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but there's probably some in this room who didn't even know that was a job. Right? 
They're like, the interest coordinator. That's interesting. What does that mean? Well, it's a pretty on-the-nose job description. It coordinates all the interests in the church, people who are interested in coming to church, interested in Bible studies, who came to your health meetings, who came to your evangelistic campaigns, and they're just out in the ether floating around. Go get them. Make sure somebody's on it, right? Encouraging the interest coordinator to ensure that every interest is personally and promptly followed up by the pastor. Is that what it says? Does it say elder? Does it say deacon? What does it say? An assigned lay person. We had 30 new people come to this thing. Great. Now the interest coordinator takes those interests and says, Sally, we need to go. Bob, we need to go. There, here, Jan, you're going to do this. Go get them. Make sure we didn't just hold this event, spend money, time, and energy, and excitement, and at the end of the day, we don't know what happened to the people who came. We have an interest coordinator who sits on the board, and that's the fourth item on every agenda. Number five, encouraging each department to report at least quarterly to the board and to members at business meetings or in Sabbath meetings. You don't have to go around every department every time you have a board meeting, but just make sure that they're on a schedule so they have a regular report. By the way, deaconesses, this quarter, how are you guys doing? Everything all right? Cool. Next. Number six, and the last of the, this is the last of the six, receiving regular reports. The board should consider details of church business and receive regular reports of the treasure of the church's finances. The board should study the membership record and inquire into the spiritual standing of all members and provide for visits to sick, discouraged, or backslidden members. Other officers should periodically report. Now, Notice the next sentence. The board should permit no other business to interfere with planning for evangelism. Should other business be too time-consuming, the board should appoint committees to care for specific areas of church business, such as finance or church building projects. Can you imagine if you were in the middle of a big building project, let's say you're building a new parking lot or a roof or some big project, and the board didn't talk about it? Amen says the CPA, if I'm not mistaken, right? Oh, you do, next to the CPA. But now that's not to say the work isn't getting done, but it's just subcommittied out. They're taking care of it. They're taking, and they'll they'll report back. Hey, how's the building going? Well, I could use this. Okay, how can we help next? And but you keep your eye on the ball of evangelism. You keep this picture of the cycle with the harvest in view. And everything, that's the, you've seen that illustration, there's different size rocks in one size jar. So you have to put, the only way to get them all to fit in is you put the big rock in first. The big rock in the local church jar is evangelism. Make sure that that's taken care of, and then everything else goes in and goes along. It's supporting that. But when we lose focus at the whole purpose of to do evangelism and soul winning, then other things become the bigger rocks. Or we fill the whole jar full of the other little rocks and there's no time for it. There's no time for this. We can't find the time. Got to recalibrate the thing. Put the big rock in first. Now, let's go to the personal ministries department. And again, this is from the excerpts from the church manual, the 2010 edition, verses, pages, <laughs> verses, pages 97 and 98. The personal ministries council guides the outreach or missionary efforts of the church and works under the direction of the board. So again, the board has representation from all fields of the church, but then there's the personal ministries department. And it is the sub-board, if you will, tasked with evangelism. 
And the goal of evangelism has everyone working in some phase of evangelism. That's the whole purpose of the Personal Ministries Committee, Personal Ministries Council. The council should meet at least once each month. At least gives you the option of meeting even more than once a month, yes? Wow. The council should meet at least once each month and should consist of the pastor, an elder, the treasurer, and leaders of other departments and auxiliary services functioning in that congregation. So it's a little stripped-down version of the board. The personal ministries leader trains and directs members in outreach or missionary service and chairs the personal ministries council. The leader reports in the monthly church outreach missionary Sabbath service and business meetings about total outreach missionary activities of the congregation. Pause right here. Let's look at that sentence again. We probably just breezed right by it. The leader, the personal ministries leader, reports in the monthly church outreach Sabbath service. That's another one of the things, like, it just implies that, well, you know, every church has their, you know how every month you have your outreach Sabbath when you report of all the good things that are going on? How's that? Now, I was building my sermonic calendar for the year, which I'm a big fan of having sermonic calendars for the whole year. I like that a lot. It really helps. And I realized, man, I've got every Sabbath, all we do is preach, 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 preach. And mostly it's just me. Because I know that if I don't, I'm going to hear about it from the... (laughs) But when do I put one of these in? Now, we have, to our credit, we do finally have, for the last year or so, we've been having a personal ministries feature inside of each Sabbath service, and they get a few minutes to say what's going on and to highlight, there's a new glow tracked out, or here's what's going on, or we want to appeal to you to come to this, and all the personal ministries functions. But an entire Sabbath where you just talk about the plans that are going on, and you share the testimonies of what has been going on, that implies that there's stuff going on enough to talk about it that frequently. Right? That's a pretty strong implication. That once a month, you've got a whole whole Sabbath full of outreach and ministry reports. That'd be cool. But it's honestly a little scary to plan that. Because you're like, what if, it's like making an appeal. What if no one comes down? Then I'm just the guy standing there with no one around him. But there's some strong implications that there's stuff going on. Okay? Assistance may be assigned to coordinate the Bible Correspondence School. Bible evangelism, literature distribution, in-gathering or equivalent appeals, small group ministries, member training, and other soul-winning programs. And all of this is on the umbrella of the personal ministries department. So the board lays these big-picture plans and sets the stage for the whole thing. And then the departments go to work supporting it. And one of those departments is the personal ministries department. And they're tasked with getting every member on board with what's going on. Giving them the resources they need, the training that they need, Whatever it takes to get them doing things. Soul winning DNA of the church. Let's go now, let's go back to that interest coordinator as we're going forward in our notes. The interest coordinator. Again, still from the church manual. An interest coordinator should be elected to make sure that interests developed through the church's missionary outreach are cared for promptly. This person is a member of the board and the personal ministries council and works directly with the pastor and chairperson of that council. Duties of this office include, one, keeping an organized list of all interests received by the church. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever imagined, but let's say that you do have a big outreach campaign, a big, uh, let's say, get out of debt thing, or a big health symposium, something. And you have 30 people from the community show up, and they fill up the little card, and they, oh, what? oh, so glad you're here. Here's your name and information. And you have this card. Okay, the event is over. Four o'clock comes. You're taking down the tables. Everybody cleans up and goes home. What happens to the stack of cards? Well, everybody's, well, I did my part. I checked the blood pressures. I'm done. Okay, but now what? And nobody seems to know. And we just kind of, I think people blithely assume that, that there's somebody going to pick up that pile of cards and take it to the pastor, and he's going to follow up with them, and we'll see them get baptized soon or something. But the interest coordinator is supposed to take those and, first of all, make a list and, and, and have an organized list of not only who the interests are, but who are, who, who are the church members who are working with those interests. When did they come to the event? What was the name of the event? Was it a health event? What things could we do more to help them out? And make sure that there's someone to follow up with them. Do you, would you like Bible study? Would you like to come to our next event? You know we have a VBS program for children, and we're going to be having this campaign called Keys of Revelation. You'll never Follow up by an assigned layperson. But I can tell you that there are interest lists in churches right now that are dusty on shelves and in drawers where we didn't know what we were supposed to do with them. Number two, assisting the pastor and chairperson of the Pistol Ministries Council in enlisting and recruiting qualified members for follow-up service. And three, presenting to the board a monthly report of the number of interests received and followed up. Again, there's a strong implication. Every month, you were supposed to have new interests. When an interest is sufficiently developed, it should be shared with the pastor. That's interesting. So the, the, let's, let's put this in perspective. All right, the health ministries is led by a layperson, and they plan this event and take it to the board, who is full of laypeople. And the board says, go for it. It's a great plan. We're behind you. We'll pray for you. We'll give you the, whatever the money you need. Make it happen. And then they go and do the thing, and they coordinate all the new people who've come in, great, and they get the list of names, the interests, give it to the interest coordinator, and the interest coordinator gives it to a list of people, and they start doing, let's say they, they actually want Bible studies, and they give the Bible studies, and so the pastor only gets involved when, according to this, they're sufficiently developed to call the pastor. It's been all lay all the way through. You know, there are places in the world where the pastor just goes around in a circuit, and they have baptisms ready to go. And he clears them. Is there anything you're lacking? Is there anything you need? They make sure that we're all on the same page. We're doing our work well and oversight. And then baptizes. And then puts them in the discipleship ministry plan because there's already a plan for that too. And the pastor doesn't execute in detail. He's not down in the well, will pit, wheel pit. It's interesting. And these ideas that we've been espousing for the last couple of meetings are right here in the church manual. Anyway. Now, I... I, I I trust that you won't go on and read beyond the next section, but typical church ministry structure, okay? And if you need to resist temptation, put a piece of paper over the bottom part of the page, okay? But let's start with the top part. Most Seventh-day Adventist churches probably function this way. At first glance, everything seems fine. And we'll just take a look at the little chart here. You have three boxes, and the top one is preparation for ministry, the behind-the-scenes work. This is Everything for, uh, and even let's say that this church wants to do evangelism. They want to see souls won. This isn't like a hard, rebellious group. They want to do good things, 
But this is typically how they go about doing it. Okay? First of all, you have your personal spiritual preparation. I want to be sure that I'm good with the Lord and his word. So you have your daily devotions and things. You also have business meetings that, funk, that happen. You have church board meetings. Then the departments have their meetings. And then there's other various administrative duties that occur. Those are all the behind-the-scenes work. But at some point, you have to do a thing. And we typically divide that into two categories, the things we do for the church and then the things we do for the community. Now, of course, the things we do for the church, the community is kind of always welcome to. They're welcome to come to prayer meeting. We're not going to be like, whoa, 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 this is for members only. Get out of our prayer meeting. Or our church service, please. I hope that's not the case. No. But we don't typically advertise them to the community like it's a community-centered event. So we do things Ministry to the church, let's say, here, with an open invitation to the community. You're allowed to come. Worship service, prayer meeting, Sabbath school, if we have a church school, social events. They might bring a neighbor or something. You should come to our church social, but it's not primarily advertised for them, for the church. But then if all we did was that, we'd say, we need to get out in the community. We need to reach out. We have a commission to go win souls. So we do ministries outside the church. Ministries to the community with an open invitation the church can participate. Bible seminars and events, including evangelistic campaigns. We advertise the community for that. Group outreach events. We might do some big literature distribution campaign. We might do the, uh, the uh, Great Controversy Project or Glow Marathon, Glowathon as they call them. You know. um, health seminars. Advertise your community. A healthy cooking thing or stop smoking class. A get out of debt seminar. Whatever. Vacation Bible school for children. Community service centers. You know, we want to get our name out there and get our, our building people aware of it and all these different things. And as long as we're doing things for the church and for the community, well, that's our two spheres, right? We're good. And we kind of, there's a faint little line in between the two where we hope somehow that the people that went to our evangelistic meeting or our health seminar or whatever will come and come to prayer meeting and Sabbath school and church and become. And most of the time, look at this now. Administrative work is being cared for. There's ministry to the church family and to the community going on. There's plenty of activities and programs, and even public evangelism is happening. Perhaps there's even steady tithes, stable membership, and a healthy budget. So what's wrong with this church? Well, as you remove your hand, (laughs) you'll see that there's a whole section of the church that's not being employed as it should. It's the personal work of the members, personal ministries. In a training center church, the primary objective is training, equipping, and employing all members in personal soul-winning labor and care for each other. The first work of the board is evangelism in all its phases and the spiritual nurture of all members. That's, I believe, a direct quote from the church manual. Classes are held for all members to be effective personal soul winners. If you remember the the first one, there's no personal training whatsoever. No training classes, which probably represents most of our churches here. There isn't personal training going on. Okay? And all corporate outreach events, including evangelistic campaigns, simply augment ongoing personal work of the individual church members. They are there to support what's already being done by the individuals, not to take the place of it. It augments it. It doesn't supplant it. Okay? So if you take a look at it, you still have your same preparation for ministry, behind-the-scenes work, personal spiritual preps you go, business meetings, board meetings, departmental administration. Now, I would imagine that here the agenda for the church board and church business meetings are a little bit different because your focus is on evangelism. But you still have the meetings, but you're just talking about different things. You have a different priority structure. Okay? But you add one more thing in here, and that's training classes. 
The board will make sure that that's happening. They say, personal ministries, we need this. And the personal ministries ex executes it, okay? You still have ministry to the church. Worship service, prayer meeting, Sabbath school, church school, social events, yada, yada. You still have membership uh, stuff to the community, all the different things we listed there before. But what's missing here? Personal ministry, every member ministering, personal invitations to events. How are we going to get people to our evangelistic campaign? Oh, we're going to send out flyers. That's good. We're going to buy billboards or get radio ads or something like that. But I was just talking with, I don't think he's in the room right now, Thomas Beal, who runs the Disciples Interest Tracker software. They're now starting to do statistics on how many meetings people will come to related to how they got invited to the meetings. Okay? So they were saying that the typical person who heard a radio ad comes to, I think it was two or three meetings. It's good, but we want the full thing, right? The typical person who gets a flyer in the mail, I think he said, comes to five meetings. The personal invitation group comes to eight and a half meetings, which may not seem big, but between two and eight, that's over, two, eight and a half, that's over four times, right? Four times longer from the personal invitation. So I'm not advocating, take down the billboards and stop sending out mailers, just go shake hands. No, I'm not saying that. But I can tell you from our last evangelism campaign we did in Muskegon, that several people who came and eventually were baptized, I'll just give you a couple quick stories. It was the multiple factor. It wasn't they just saw the billboard. One lady said, I was driving down the billboard and I saw the advertisement, but I didn't catch all the details of where it was and the phone number and website and stuff. I just saw this event and I thought it looked interesting. Then I went to work and a couple of the guys that I work with actually go to one of those churches that was doing that event and they were talking it up. And I said, oh, yeah, that's the thing I saw on the billboard. It jogged their memory. Then they went home, and there was an advertisement in their mailbox. And they're like, you know what? I think the Lord is trying to tell me something. Right? Now, as he said, if any one of those had happened, I would probably discard it. But it was that combined with that combined with that that made a picture that said, i got to go to this thing. Now, in addition, that other person, that same person, came to the first night. I don't remember if it was the first night or second night, but one of those early nights and stopped coming. And typically what we think is that, ah, oh, they didn't like it. Let's pray. Go get them. Knock on their door. Hey, what went wrong? Hi. I'm the guy, I'm the guy you left when I was talking up front. But, you know. And I went to, I went to these people's door, and they, they didn't answer it at first because they thought I was from a different denomination. But they're like, oh, that's the guy that did the, you're the one speaking up there on the thing, and you're here at our house. I was like, yeah, I noticed that you weren't here at the church, so I came to you. Is everything okay? And the very first thing, the first thing, oh, come on in, come on in. They weren't mad. And she's like, you know, we, we started, we, we missed that one night, and then it's just, another thing came up, and it's just, I meant to be going back, but I just really haven't. And I said, well, look, I just want to make sure that I hadn't stepped on your toes, or if everything is okay, if there's any questions I can answer, but we'd love to have you come back. Can I pray with you? Is, is everything going all right? And she came back the next night, and the next night, and the next night, and two months later, I baptized her. It was great. Now, that's not the formula that works for every single time. But now we have at least one sample in our church, and there, were, there are plenty of others too, but this is one who we can chart from nothing to seeing the campaign, to seeing the this and that, and going through, and then having the personal visit. And she says, if someone hadn't come to my door and come and dragged me back, I wouldn't have gone. 
And it wasn't because I was mad, it just fell off my radar screen. It's like your email inbox. Once you get past that first 20, it's gone. If you don't get it in the first week, it's not going to happen. Tell people, I, I feel so embarrassed. People are like, did you get that email? I'm like, I think so, maybe. I don't even remember. If I didn't reply, it didn't happen. You know? It's the same thing in real life work. You've got to go get them. Uh, anyway, personal invitation to events. Personal literature distribution. Now, I don't mean by that just taking a pile of glow tracks as we had one dear saint do. Well, anyway. <laughs> don't just take a stack of them and leave them on the counter at a place and say, I just distributed 500 glow tracks. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> you know? It means literally looking someone in the eye. That's the seed sowing. What's that? Hey, this, is really, this has been a really impactful thing for me. I, I think you'd be interested in that, or, or especially if you know that something has gone on in their life, that, that there's natural disasters things, there's the personal trauma, there's questions about death, you know? Whatever the thing is, hey, this has been really helpful for me, and I think you could use this. Can I pray with you? Great. Let it do its thing. But personally distribute. Not just mass distribution. Go to them individually. Personal distribution. Um, personal and small group Bible studies. In that other model up there, there's no mention of individuals doing Bible studies with new interests. There's no mention of it all. And yet, I think most of us would be totally fine if it never happened because we don't have that expectation in our heads. DVD and correspondence studies. You know, we've noticed this in the outreach. I'm going to lose track of time again, aren't I? Okay. Um, that's okay. I've noticed this in, in our outreach events. We have an interest coordinator at our church, and he's on the personal ministries team, and they have every week, except for the one week where we have uh, potluck, so three out of four weeks or four out of five weeks, there is an outreach door-to-door witnessing activity in our church on Sabbath afternoons. But one of the things we notice is, okay, we have 120 people in the church on Sabbath, and everybody likes the personal ministry support, especially if you have a baptism, the whole church is going to say, man, it's wonderful, and then 12 will show up. For the thing. And I don't mind, by the way. I'm not saying that everybody needs to come to everything. Please, don't come to everything we do. Just pick some things and do it faithfully. But this, I wouldn't mind if it's 12, as long as it's a different 12 each week, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. But, by the way, how simple would that be? You have untrained people and 12 come. That means only once every 10 weeks do you actually have to show up and do a thing, and you'd have different 12 every time. It's a pretty simple formula, but... One of the things that, that discourages people from, from going door-to-door and asking for Bible studies is, number one, people are, there's one group of people that are afraid of strangers, and they're afraid of getting rejected, which I believe is almost entirely false. I think that's a thing that we say and we don't actually mean. I think people are far more afraid of getting accepted than they are rejected, Right? What would happen if you knocked on somebody's door and you're like, hi, uh, I'm with a group of Christians. We're just trying to go door to door. And I was trying to see, this is not the good way to do it, but let's just say that you did it that way. And they were like, I was just wondering if you'd be interested in some Bible studies. And they actually said yes. And they're like, oh, praise the Lord. I've just been in prayer about this. I've wanted to understand the Bible more. And I've never really had, I, I have this Bible. I got it with a thing. But can you, can you come in right now and, 
And then they have to admit, it's like, I actually don't know what I'm talking, I don't know how to give up. I, uh, <laughs> uh, I was just in theory, just seeing if maybe someday you might like to, you know. I think they're far more, I think if a no, they'd be like, oh, see, I'm not good at this. And a no just validates that it's not for me. A yes terrifies them. Right? So they're afraid of that. And then there's the other group that, because he can do drop-off things. Just, here's a DVD. This other guy preached the message, and I'll just come back next week and check it out. You can do little things like that. It's better than nothing. And, but then you've got a long time commitment. You've got to come back the next week, and the next week, and the next week. I mean, that's 26 weeks or something right there. People are like, I don't have that kind of time commitment. They don't mind. The ice has already been broken. So there's people who are great at one time breaking the ice, but they don't have that long time commitment. There's other people afraid of the yes or the no. They need things established first, and then they'll follow up. They've got all the time in the world, but they're afraid of new people. Okay? So what if we had a group that knocked on the doors and got the interest and then gave it to another group who would come and follow up with them? You know, Look, they've already said yes. You don't have to be afraid. Here's the course. I'll tell you what to do. Just, I just need somebody to go this week and then the next week and then the next week do that long, slow cultivating work. Can you do that? Okay. So we're trying, even in our own church, to hone it to people's, not gifts, let me be clear about that, but willingnesses, okay? Uh, member visitation. No, I thought that was kind of implied in the other one. It's just the pastor does it, right? Mm. Now, there's nothing wrong. The pastor should visit the members. But that should not be the primary work that he's tasked with. He should make sure that member care is tended to, but how do we do it? Anyway, which is where we'll, and of course, new member mentorship. we got new people, they need to follow up, and we're going to have a whole uh, seminar session on that called uh, Disciple. No, it's not called Disciple, it's called Discipline. That's what it's called. Anyway, member care. I just want to highlight this one real quick. This kind of reviews the things that we've already seen before. God uses created beings as his ministers to care for the needs of each other. We saw it in Revelation chapter 5 where the angels that God created, the 100 million plus of them, go and minister uh, to all those who will inherit salvation. Mark chapter 6 in his ministry here on the earth, Jesus had the disciples make the people sit down in groups. And who fed the 5,000? Well, at the end of the day, they fed each other. Again, in Desire of Ages, in Christ's act of supplying the temporal necessities of hungry multitude is wrapped up a deep spiritual lesson for all his workers. Christ received from the Father, he imparted the disciples, they imparted the multitude and the people to one another. There were many people that day who never came in direct contact with Jesus or his disciples, yet they were fed. So all who are united in Christ will receive from him the bread of life, the heavenly food, to impart to others. And in heavenly places, 2.23, in heaven none will think of self, nor seek their own pleasure, but all from pure, genuine love will seek the happiness of the heavenly beings around them. If we wish to enjoy heavenly society and the earth made new, we must be governed by heavenly principles here. Pastor isn't hired to care for you. He's hired to teach you how to care for each other. And I want to demonstrate that I'm not just making this up. Let me get some excerpts from the church manual to back me up. Because the pastor is appointed to the position in the church by the conference, the pastor serves the church as a conference employee, is responsible to the conference committee, and maintains a sympathetic and cooperative relation to works to and works in harmony with all the plans and policies of the local church. So it implies that there are plans and policies of the local church that are separate from the pastor. He just helps coordinate them. Elders who are elected by the church are responsible to that body and to its board. So the primary 
leadership of the local church is not necessarily the conference pastor. It's the elders who are elected from within that membership. So let's look at the role of the elder, straight from the manual. The pastor should not assume all lines of responsibility, but should share these with the elders and other officers. So it's not just the elders, but the pastoral work of the church should be shared by the pastor and the elders. In counsel with the pastor, the elders should visit members, minister to the sick, foster prayer ministries, arrange and lead out in anointing services and child dedications, encourage the disheartened, and assist in other pastoral responsibilities. But wouldn't that be weird if somebody besides the pastor did a baby dedication? Or an anointing service if someone... But in James, it doesn't say call for the pastor, it says call for the elders. But in the Bible, that, that term is interchangeable. They're the local leaders, spiritual cabinet of the church. But I can tell, I, I mean, there have been literally times when they, oh, I have church members who won't start the potluck unless I pray for the food. I'd love to say I'm making that up as a hyperbole kind of thing to be funny, but it's literal happen. I've been literally talking with a new person, a visitor in the church in the foyer after the service, and a deaconess will come up, well-intended. Pastor, we need you over there in the gym. Why? We have to start the potluck. Is the door locked? I don't understand. What's the, what is the problem, you know? Well, we need you to have the blessing. It's a Catholic priest mindset. Right? Deacons and deaconesses. In many churches, visitation is arranged by distributing membership by districts and assigning a deacon to each district with the expectation that he will visit each home at least once a quarter. Now you think, well, the pastor should be visiting the members. All right, all right, fine. It's not him. It's the elders. But the elders have their hands in every other thing that goes on in the church too. According to the manual, the primary role of the deacon is in, the primary role of visitation is for the deacons to do. The elders participate in it too and coordinate the work of the deacons, and the pastors make sure it's all happening, and in case of emergency, he executes in detail. Okay. Church manual, page 78. If a church elects several deaconesses, it should, rec- it should organize a board of deaconesses chaired by the head deaconess and, other, and another deaconess serving as secretary. This board is authorized to assign duties to individual deaconesses and cooperates closely with the board of deacons, especially in welcoming members and visitors and in home visitation. Again, later on, deacons and deaconesses are charged with assisting the sick, poor, and unfortunate and should keep the church informed of their needs and enlist the support of members. So in visiting the sick and caring for the members, they shouldn't just have their elder or deacon or deaconess. They should make sure that other members come along too. So notice that in the evangelism for outreach for non-believers, you should incorporate all the members to work for lost souls. And in the care for the people inside the church, you should incorporate all the members under the direction of the leaders that were elected by the nominating committee. But you notice that leadership positions in the church are not to do the work. They're to organize, train, and equip the members to do the work. That's what the missing element in a lot of our church functional structures is. Is we have these grand ideas and principles. We don't have the the laborers are few. Finally, the SDA Elders Handbook. Planning for home visitation should be a regular part of the elders' meeting. 
Visitation can be assigned to leading church members gifted and trained in that particular ministry. Such programs are often called a parish or under-shepherd plan where membership is usually divided into geographic zones. An elder assisted by a deacon or deaconess could be in charge of a parish zone. The pastor and elders lead out in the visitation plan and other programs that build spiritual strength in the church. So basically you get the picture that you have I'll give you this quick example as we close. Going back to our church membership, right now on the books we have 210. I think we went up to 211, but it was really nice when we had 210. Not that that one person is bad, but for numbers sake. 210 and we had seven elders. So you think, we're going to start a parish plan. The pastor can't be responsible for visiting 210 people every quarter. That's just insane. So we, we need to divide it among the elders, Okay. And so if any people in the room know math at all, 210 divides evenly with 7, right? And you get 30 apiece. Okay, so there's 30 people under each elder. That's a much less number. It's, in fact, one, exactly one-seventh of the number. But 30 people is still a rather large chunk of people to care for personally. But that's, in, that's just if you say, all right, pastor, and then spreads out to the elders, but you forgot about the deacons and deaconesses. And what if the deacons and deaconesses, when they go on visitation, make sure that other members go with them? Well, that all of a sudden spreads it way across thin ice, right? Nobody falls through. It's not a problem. So basically what we've just done, and we're implementing it when we get right back to the church uh, in Michigan, saying, all right, we've divided up into the geographical zones, the elders and the deacons and deaconesses. I had a big meeting with the elders, deaconesses, deaconesses, gave them the same sermon, okay? And... Everybody's on board, so there's now a team of elder with a deacon and a deaconess, and they, of course, can pull their spouses in as they see fit, and they can pull other church members in. But inside of this group of three, uh, there's 30 people, so that divides evenly 10 apiece. And of that 10, if only, say, half of your church membership is actually attending church, your list of active participants on that list is odds are down in the five to seven range. That's doable. And you start a little bit of a small group taking care of each other type of thing. Led out by the pastor, elders, deacons, and executed by the membership as far as possible amongst themselves. Now, um, so there were two jobs that we said. And the second one is, let's say that there's some church discipline needed or it's time to clean the books and we've got 100 people on the books we haven't seen in years. Let me ask you a question. How do we know definitively that we haven't seen them in years? We keep an attendance every week of the back of people's heads. We know how many people were in the church. But we don't do attendance from the front of their head, right, to know which individuals were actually there. So how are you going to know which people came to church every week? And by the way, are we going to track the attendance of every member? Well, yes. What's wrong with that? We have no problem doing it for prospective members. I mean, when I hold an evangelist camera, we literally give them a key, a barcode thing, a key fob, and I have to explain on night one, this is not the mark of the beast. <laughs> we'll get to it. I promise it's not a piece of plastic in Muskegon. It's not that, you know, the book of Revelation doesn't culminate here. Um, but we have no problem saying, all right, how many, and we have little meetings, all right, they came to the first three nights, we need to get somebody on them. We track those interests to the but as soon as they become a member, we don't ask anything anymore. If you ask then, you're nosy. But structure and organization is not, 
is not a sign of impersonal work. It actually shows that we're trying to take care. For instance, I doubt that you've ever been to a church that had a greeter and you were offended. You're probably only saying Happy Sabbath because it's your job. Well, they're like, well, I mean, kind of, but I mean, I really do want to say happy Sabbath, but I just want to make sure that you're taken care of, that you get a bullet and you assign the guest. I just want to, I just wanted to open the door for you, you know, but yes, it is my job to be here today. No one ever thinks like, ugh, with your bulletin, ugh. They're not offended. You're like, thank you for thinking ahead and making a plan so that I'm taken care of. I appreciate that organization. Organization actually fosters personal work instead of hindering it. Organization isn't anti-spiritual. God is a God of order, not of chaos. Anyway, these are lots of thoughts that kind of got a little straggly at the end, and I apologize about that, and once again, we've run over our time. But if you would, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, please help us to be the church you want us to be. Help us to take seriously the Great Commission and to develop a soul-winning culture, a DNA within our local churches that's built around caring for each other and winning souls to Christ. Teach us our individual responsibilities. Train us where we may not know. Equip us where we may not have. And encourage us where we might be afraid. But Lord, more than keeping us faithful, make us useful for you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at The Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.